Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, a Supreme Court ruling has universities all over our region reevaluating how they want to handle legacy admissions. The city has a new vision for how to help folks feed their neighbors, and an old hillside novelty got a humongous glow up, but I bet you don't know the history of Pittsburgh's Hollywood sign. It's July 21st, the Friday News Roundup. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. I'm with CityCast producer Maria Carter. Hello. Hey there, Megan. And newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Happy Friday. Yeah. It's been a really big week. I think I'm just also like staring out the window at like the Picklesburg parking situation. And it's 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 rough out there. It's so much. Caused me a lot of headaches this week. (laughs) (laughs) If you've been parking downtown or having to travel through for any reason at all, um, we feel you. We see your pain. Yeah, and if you're going to Picklesburg, definitely take the tea. Just don't don't even try. (laughs) I feel like the Clemente Bridge was not as big of a deal as shutting down Boulevard of the Allies, but maybe I'm minimizing it. I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. You would think a bridge would be a little bit bigger of a deal, but I think its location didn't lend itself to like as much um, just snarl traffic snarl yeah (laughs) yeah that's a good word (laughs) well i mean those sister bridges are so clutch right like if you shut down one you've got another one two blocks over and another one two or three blocks (laughs) over there (laughs) yeah well let's jump in this week the city approved three million dollars to hopefully try to address food insecurity in pittsburgh um wesa public source some others have been doing some good reporting on this It's interesting. It looks like it's modeled after a health department program in Philadelphia. I love how we always steal ideas from Philly. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully only the good ones. I mean, ideally, right? Um, It's this huge pot of money uh, left over from the 2021, I'm going to get this, American Rescue Plan. Um, They were supposed to give it to the land bank, but our land bank is a mess. So they pulled it over the winter, um, and now we're splitting it into a bunch of buckets. Yeah, I remember when this was happening and folks from local organizations were calling on uh, investment in the Food Justice Fund. What are these buckets that they're, you know, investing in or or kind of splitting up the money into? Yeah, mostly two big buckets. Um, So there's big investments and then there's smaller grants. The big ones, um, it's $1.1 million of that $3 million total. They want to use it to expand grocery stores, to do some public health education, urban ag initiatives were under that. Um, They'd even mentioned some community gardens. And I saw the PG had cooking demonstrations on their list of what this could mean, too. Um, (laughs) 
And then the smaller grants are for community groups that are kind of already doing the work. So they'd be grants of between $2,000 and $75,000. So kind of a wide window there, but you have to have a pretty small operating budget to qualify for that. And then they said, the city said that they wanted to bring in a third-party contractor to manage those applications and decide what works. Um, also, I'm going to throw in a bonus third bucket because, of course, what? with any... A bonus bucket? <laughs> with any... <laughs> I feel like we always forget this. With any big thing like this, there's an operational debt, right? Or cost. Oh, yeah. yeah, operational costs are important. Thank you. So things important. running. Yeah, um, someone has to run the show. <laughs> I didn't see the final, final number, um, but initially they were earmarking 400000 to go to help pay for that third party group plus a coordinator to oversee all this. But a last minute amendment to the whole thing um, took the salary of that coordinator position and added it to the city's general fund. So more money now can go to the organizations okay. as they're giving out the grants. And that's over a certain like period of time, only like a few years, right? Yeah, um, the city has to select recipients by the end of 2024 and then spend all the money by 2026. So what's the state of food access in Pittsburgh? I just remember how swamped the food bank was during the pandemic. There were huge lines of cars and parking lots. It was so intense. So many hungry neighbors. Yeah, um, the numbers might have changed a little bit since the pandemic. Um, You know, some of this comes out on like a huge delay. Um, But nationally, according to the USDA, 10 percent roughly of households are food insecure at any given moment. Um, Our local advocacy group, one I just love called Just Harvest, um, they actually slide that number higher to about one in seven people in Allegheny County. Um, but the way they calculate it, in case you're not familiar, is a little squishy and kind of hard to follow. But there's food security, low and very low insecurity, and then what they call chronic hunger, which is like that physical and mental accumulation of being like super food insecure for a long time. So I guess what, what's that overall definition of food security? Yeah, security, like at a minimum, means that every member of your household should be able to get safe, nutritionally adequate, culturally appropriate foods, um, and then everyone can get to them in like ways that you'll actually do it. Like, so it's socially acceptable. Um, you're not having to do something that like makes you uncomfortable to be able to acquire said food. Mm, it's just, it's so sad. I mean, everyone deserves to eat, and yep. it's a shame that there are so many barriers in the way, like all of these steps that it takes to be food secure. Just Harvest has uh, will take you to church if you check out their website. It's it's a fun read. So what is our perception of how this will help Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mean, the city is definitely hoping it will. Stakeholders are like absolutely celebrating. Um, I attended a bunch of these calls a few months ago, kind of as they were setting it up. They've been advocating for this for years. Um, they were initially hoping for $10 million, but they are thrilled with three. The only yeah. thing is, is that now they are trying to figure out like, OK, so what happens after 2026? There's a lot of money here, but it's not going to last forever. You know, is the city going to be able to sustain this once we get used to having a little extra resources? Yeah. I mean, because this is coming from COVID money, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it does run out. It's finite. But I guess luckily we have a lot of like foundations locally. Maybe it can carry on that way through, I don't know, you know, fundraising and and, and donations. Is that the idea? 
You are singing uh, Council President Teresa Kale Smith's <laughs> swan song. <laughs> she is hoping that our philanthropic community um, and even just like some of our behemoth local businesses will step up and fund this beyond that 2026 date. Um, but the wish list of all the things that they want to include is kind of long and kind of fun to read. Um, we'll have that full list of stuff on our show notes, plus a survey that the Food Policy Council has been putting out trying to assess how Pittsburghers eat and what they might need from some of the stuff. Um, it said that it was supposed to be complete by May, but the link still works. So if you want to weigh in and let them know how you feel, we'll put that link in the show notes too. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. So moving on, uh, there's a big SCOTUS ruling, a couple of them, that are going to change a lot of things. We're going to focus in on the one that effectively ended affirmative action and how that's affecting our colleges. Yeah, I mean, we're a big college town, so this is a big deal locally. Yeah, I was just trying to think of like how many. It's like what? Pitt, CMU, Point Park, Duquesne, Chatham, CCAC, Robert Morris, Penn State isn't here, but everybody cares about it. Like, yeah, that's eight colleges. Like, that's huge. Did you see yeah. LaRoche? I think that's still local, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody forgets about <laughs> LaRoche. <laughs> yeah, it's a ton. Yeah. And so that ended affirmative action, which was like race based or race considered race conscious admission policies at yeah. universities. But uh, one of the other things that kind of is a possible fallout of that is legacy admissions. Um, and so uh, a lot of uh, universities and colleges are taking a look at those right now. And if you're not familiar with legacies, that's the thing where, like, if your dad went there, then you automatically either get admitted completely or, like, a weighted application so you can have a better chance of being admitted, which, like, if we're ending affirmative action where college applications are weighted to consider race and give folks who've been historically marginalized a more equitable chance, but then you're keeping weights for the children of people who've already benefited from this whole busted system, like, what kind of message does that send? All of that to say, I guess I get why then there'd be this civil rights complaint dropped right after the Supreme Court ruling saying legacies actually violate the Civil Rights Act. Like that complaint was so smart. It's like a birthright advantage. And even just say saying that feels icky to me. Right. 
Yeah, and usually it's not automatic, but it's can be heavily weighted. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, depending on the college, I think a lot of especially smaller colleges will say, "Oh, it helps with donations," and you know that it creates um, kind of like this charitable giving because you know, like it's this family legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some interesting history here. Like, legacy admissions haven't always been a thing at colleges, per se. I didn't even know legacy admissions were a thing outside movies until I got much older. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you guys want to guess, like, when they started? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to say maybe, like, 19, 10, 20, 30, like, at the height of our, like, really public Mm -hmm. racism. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, right. 1920s. Yeah, I hate it. I hate that. That's always the answer. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, that's why that complaint is there. And I think there's actually been a trend in the past 10, 20 years of other institutions kind of starting to examine their legacy admissions policies. And some um, like I think MIT was maybe the first to do away with it, Um, like ending legacy admissions. Wellesley just officially ended theirs. And locally, um, in the past few years, uh, Pitt and Carnegie Mellon are no longer considering legacy admissions in their admissions criteria. I got to say, it was so much fun watching you do this research yesterday. (laughs) Tom, break it down for us. So Pitt and CMU aren't doing it anymore. Um, What about some of the others? Let me give a little bit of credit here. It was inspired by some reporting by Bill Schachner uh, at the at trip. The yeah. Yeah. Um, and he looked at Carnegie Mellon and Pitt and in their 2022 and 2023 common data sets, <laughs> uh, they reported that they were no longer looking at, you know, alumni relations, uh, which is what we also call legacy admissions uh, when making those admissions decisions. Cool. Um, so that's Pitt and CMU. What about some of yeah. our smaller ones? Like, uh, Point Park. We'll do a lightning round. Okay. Point Park, (laughs) no on alumni. Oh, nice. Okay. Francesca, if you ever have any any children, now you know. Um, (laughs) Now I know they can't get any benefits. Oh, that's all right. Duquesne University. It's considered at Duquesne. Considered at Duquesne. Did we talk about Chatham? Chatham, um, alumni status or, you know, relationship, a legacy would be considered. Okay. I feel like, is that maybe, do we think that's a little different since it was historically a women's college? I don't know. But it hasn't been a women's college in like close yeah. to 10 years. I don't know. Interesting. Um, R- Robert Morris? Robert Morris, uh, I couldn't find their common data set, uh, okay. nor could I get LaRoche's. You did look uh, up LaRoche. Look at you. Um, yeah. What about, I? this is a lark, CCAC, do they have to fill those out? <laughs> you know, I did find a common data set for... CCAC, but they didn't fill out that section. And I assume hmm. it's because the the bar to admission is lower at community colleges. Yeah. So they pretty much admit everyone as long as they meet very basic minimum requirements. So I don't think um, alumni relationships or any of those sorts of things have that much of an impact. Yeah, there. and there's not like a ton of like scholarships you can acquire either. Yeah. So. Francesca also can claim that one as an <laughs> <Yes, laughs> proud community college. Uh, uh, and then, uh, it, again, not in our area, but we know so many folks around here went there and care very much about the school, Penn State. Yeah, their legacy still matters, considered. And, you know, and I should say still matters. 
these are all the 2022-23 data sets. Um, so it could be changing at some of these places. And, um, you know, the only one that was I didn't have that data set for was Point Park, but theirs was consistent for the past 10 years. So <laughs> and they weren't considering alumni status anyway. So I doubt anything is changing there. Fascinating. Fascinating. I think what's interesting <laughs> about <laughs> I think what's interesting about like somewhere like Penn State, like it is such a legacy school. At least it seems that way. Like a lot of people whose parents went there. And yeah, I don't definitely. know. It's just it's such a like a family thing. Um, and it's interesting that that is, um, you know, considered in in the admissions as well. I feel like going to Penn State for school is kind of like growing up in a specific neighborhood in the South Hills. Like once you claim it, you claim it forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that um, makes sense. And Penn State does consider alumni status uh, or alumni relationship there, legacy. But interestingly, even before the Supreme Court ruling, they didn't consider race and ethnicity, unlike Carnegie Mellon, Pitt, and Duquesne. Interesting, like, like Carnegie Mellon actually considered it, not just considered it, but considered it important because this is a whole like ranking system <laughs> yeah. from very important to important. Like it's a scale. Um, so they considered it like pretty highly, I think, in how they made their decisions. So um, that might be interesting to look at in the coming years about how that might affect their student body. Oh, I love it. Let's set a timer. Future future data dives. <laughs> I feel like I, this is a weird tip. If anyone has a kid going to college somewhere, like maybe look up their common data set because it tells you how they make their decisions at that oh. college, like GPA, class rank, extracurriculars, things like that. And I'm what kind they of embarrassed. Value. I never knew that that existed. That's you know, great. I'm not sure when it came into existence. So uh, it might be a more recent thing, um, you know, not to call you old or be old, but uh, no, I, yeah, I, I feel older every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but it, I think it is worth like just looking up because it does kind of lay it out what they consider most important and least important and how they say they're making their admissions decisions. Well, if I'm remembering correctly, mostly you were just Googling Point Park University common data set because they're a little hard yeah. to find within each individual university's website. Yeah. Cool. Uh, That's the way to do it. Yeah. Y'all y'all get cracking. Let us know what you find. Well, guys, it's the end of an era. The iconic red and white Iron City beer sign on top of Mount Washington was taken down last week and it was replaced by a black and gold sign. Megan, you texted me last week. Is that the end of anything? Like, <laughs> It's one I, I mean, giant ugly billboard for another. <laughs> It's the end of an era, Megan. I believe it. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, but maybe once you hear a little bit about uh, the history, you'll you'll see why it, it kind of is. Um, but Megan, I thought it was so funny. You texted me whenever the um, Iron City beer sign came down last week. Um, I wasn't sure if it was actually being replaced or it truly fell down at the time. It did look <laughs> like an accident. Like it looked like yeah. nature was just like, get off. Yeah. <laughs> get off my like hill. <laughs> <laughs> what must it be like to replace that sign like it's on a steep yeah. slope but I, I, yeah. I bet people have to rappel down that's what yeah, the trash pickers yeah. do when they're cleaning up yeah. the hillside and like getting all the junk off of the side of the thing definitely <laughs> it's not an easy feat um it was so weird because i had just taken a picture of the sign the day before we had some family in from out of town. Um, we took our little nephew to the Science Center, and I was pointing out Pittsburgh's Hollywood sign to him. Hollywood sign in quotes. <laughs> uh, that's what we like to call it here. I've never heard anyone Wait. call it that, but I will never yeah, call it we, anything else. 
Which is older, the Iron City sign or the Hollywood sign? Oh, I bet it's the Hollywood sign. So they're not too far off from each other. Our sign was originally built in 1921. And the Hollywood sign, originally Hollywoodland, was put up in 1923. Those copycats. (laughs) Obviously, the significance is different. Ours was like an advertisement. You know, this is Hollywood we're talking about. but Hollywoodland was an advertisement, too. Let's not (laughs) joke around there. Come on. You make good points. Yes, good points. Yeah. So now um, the sign uh, up on top of Mount Washington says, I see light, cheer Pittsburgh, drink Pittsburgh. It's in black and gold, you know, very aesthetically like our city. Um, Maybe it's because I'm a Pittsburgher and I just like naturally don't like change, uh, but I kind (laughs) of preferred the old one. (laughs) I don't like either of them. I missed the giant alarm clock that was on the side of the hill. Do you all remember that? I, no. I do. I have some memory of it. And you have a point there. That that was pretty cool. It had um, such utility. Like, for example, like the 4th of July on fireworks night, if you knew the city was setting off the fireworks at 935, everyone could tell exactly when that was. The, if the perfect. city's late, they have it on blast. It was a huge clock on the side of the hill. And just like being able to see it from like almost any point in the city. like the, Yeah. What just... time is it? I don't need to watch. Look at the hillside. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah, I let's bring it back. I don't know. Um, but, y- you know, this this color scheme that we had previously, the red and white, it was based on the early 1950s design. Um, selfishly, I guess the reason why I don't like it as much is because I can't see the sign as well from my porch now. <laughs> you can't you can't see the yellow better than the red. No, it just like popped with the red and the white, the <laughs> the the yellow and the black. Like it Francesca just like, misses her contrast. <laughs> <laughs> I miss my contrast. Yes, um, but you know the Iron City beer sign has a long history up on the hill. So they've changed it a couple times since. Like Megan, you've been in town. Like, but like, have there been other cool versions of the sign? Maybe something like that. Yeah, so I mentioned the sign itself, the site, was originally built in 1921. Pittsburgh Brewing Company had that billboard spot from 1938 to the mid-50s. But then this large advertisement, it's um, operated by Lamar Advertising, was replaced with a couple other brands. You may remember there was Alcoa, Bayer, Sprint. Um, Oh, I forgot about Bayer. You're right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it has gone through some rounds. That um, seems like something that, you know, Bayer Aspirin after I see light makes sense. Kind of. <laughs> That's funny. That's and now good. they're That's... chasing it again with the IC light. <laughs> yep. It's a cycle. That's good. <laughs> I I didn't realize, though, until I read up on the history. Um, In 1938, according to Pittsburgh Brewing Company, it was actually the world's largest neon sign. That's what they say. It was 650 feet long. Each letter was more than 30 feet tall. And it was just like this glow, as you can imagine, that sort of like cascaded over the smoky city. Um, It even featured um, a clock, Megan. See? Um, I love it. I love um, it beer glasses that filled from the <laughs> uh, from the bottom up so um they were wait on- is that where we got the ketchup bottle thing from Heinz you know what <gasps> I was thinking about that and the ketchup I- bottles at Heinz oh, Acrisure that fill up whenever we get a, a, a touchdown I almost said a score <laughs> <laughs> you know 
<laughs> same thing. But also the also the Heinz ketchup bottle that fills up at the Heinz History Center. Um, oh. I was thinking about that. Go ahead and uh, click on the link there um, and look at the photos. It's really interesting to look and see wow. what it looked like. Like that is a piece of art. I mean, you know, like neon has to be like handcrafted, like it's blown and bent and, you know, like that was a project. So I think this history is really interesting, um, but it also made me think about like, you know, we went through the whole thing with um, Heinz Field changing its name to Acrisure. If if the Iron City beer sign had to be replaced, it made me wonder what would Pittsburgh approve of to go there? Do you guys have any like ideas of other people who could advertise there and Pittsburgh wouldn't like be up in arms? <laughs> no, no. I think we love to be up in arms about the most meaningless <laughs> and small things. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I feel like this change just to icy light, just changing the sign is enough. Like, Heinz Field is going to be a wound for a while. Um, we don't need another. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, even <laughs> just that it doesn't say Iron City Beer, so I yeah. can't, I can't show off my Pittsburghies when I say Iron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> make it CityCast Pittsburgh. CityCast, yeah. yeah. There make we it, go. Make it us or the Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. I'll share, share and share alike. Could we? Could Still we like, yellow and black though. I don't know if that breaks your rules. <laughs> no, I think it would. I think it would really work. Um, I would love to be up there for even for just a day. How can we make that happen? <laughs> What, what do you think, <laughs> Pittsburgh Brewing Company? <laughs> what do you think? Let's let's do it. Um, I'd love to uh, be on top of Mount Washington for a day. That'd be so fun. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our music is by Benji. Mallory Falk is our lead producer. Our audio producer is Maria Carter, and we would be lost without our technical director, Noah Snyderman. Francesca DeBecco writes our newsletter, and I'm your host, Megan Harris. We'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend, everyone. Also, I'm eating an English muffin. I will not do it while recording, but these things are so good.